This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Today is June 19th, which is Juneteenth, and it's also International Father's Mental Health Day. And on this episode, we are hearing from a father, Kevin Selden, who is on to share his experience through postpartum depression and what that was like for him after the birth of he and his wife's child. He really is on a mission to redefine co-parenting in the modern age, and not necessarily just co-parenting meaning we've separated and now we have to co-parent, but what it's like to do parenting together. And he wants to discuss the importance of connection and its impact on mental health throughout your parenting journey. Kevin Selden is the founder of a leading social impact consultancy with clients from award-winning artists and Fortune 500 companies to world-renowned nonprofits. However, after over a decade of building a company focused on inspiring passion in others, five years of struggling to fulfill a lifelong dream of starting a family left him devoid of any passion within himself. So when he and his wife finally found themselves pregnant, he took an extended leave from all of his business endeavors and turned off his phone for a year to really focus his attention on his family, as well as to reconnect with himself. The experience was exhilarating and it was exhausting and lonely. He was really shocked at the lack of support available to dads who seemed to be completely excluded from parenting culture. So he launched DILF, as in Dad, I'd Like to Friend, a top parenting podcast which has since broken into Apple's top 50 parenting podcast charts while recently hitting number six in the U.S. charts. What began as a simple forum to seek support from some dads that Kevin would want to friend it has evolved into a global community focused on the mental health of parents where all parents are welcome. Moving the conversation beyond life with kids to focus more on the life of a human who happens to be a parent and how to thrive while attempting to be the best version of ourselves. Kevin is really passionate about this and has graciously come on to share his story. So let's meet Kevin. 
All right. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy that you're coming on to share your experience as a dad and as a parent who had their own struggle with mental health during the perinatal period. It's really important, as you know, that we're hearing from all sides and doing what we can to for other people out there to know that this is common enough and that it happens. So yeah, I'm really happy to hear from you wherever you'd like to start about your journey. I guess for me, my story starts back as long as I can remember, I've wanted to be a dad. And when I finally found the woman I wanted to share the rest of my life with and start a family, we could not get pregnant. Mm -hmm. One year, two years, three years, four years. I just wrote an article about it. I'll we can put a link in the notes. And it was a heart-wrenching experience. But the worst part was when people stopped asking because mm. they thought it was awkward. And it just, I fell into a very deep depression. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, when we finally did get pregnant, uh, which we were lucky to do after five years, you know, mental health, you think everything will just uh, fall into place then because you got what you wanted. Right, right, but that's right. not really that's not how it works. You right. know, pushing things down have a way of bottling up and then you know blowing up in a way that uh, doesn't benefit anyone. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of I'm not someone who pushes down my feelings, but as a man and also as the non-birthing partner, there's something in our society that tells us you know focus on the birthing partner, and mm-hmm. it made complete sense to me. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it felt selfish to do anything other Mm -hmm. than that, Mm -hmm. but it was truly detrimental to me and to the family because when we, it was a very difficult pregnancy because Mm -hmm. my wife was diabetic and then it was a Mm -hmm. very uh, traumatic birth Mm -hmm. and everyone has, you know, their traumatic birthing stories. I won't go into details on specifics, but my baby was rushed to the NICU and when I came back to my wife, um, she was missing and she had been taken away to a surgery. I didn't even realize because there was oh. a bleed. And it was just a very jarring experience. And yeah. my baby was attached to a, a number of monitors and they were trying to give him a pacifier with sugar and attempting to feed him from a bottle. I was concerned that would hurt with regards to breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. But also I just wanted to be able to touch my baby. Mm-hmm. And I asked for skin to skin and the shockingly, the staff in the NICU almost laughed. Like it was such a weird thing that the father would want skin to skin. So I just took off my shirt and sat down and and said, please, now, thank Mm -hmm. you. (laughs) And immediately my son stopped crying with the Mm -hmm. skin to skin. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I kind of started to feel this bond. But a lot of my connection was Mm short-lived. And when we finally got home, I felt very rejected Mm. by the baby. And I think it's a very common thing for non-birthing partners. Mm -hmm. And I also was very short-tempered, which is not me. Mm -hmm. And I just realized quickly that something was off. Mm -hmm. And you weren't quite feeling like yourself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't long before the baby was maybe, I don't know, just a few weeks old. And I decided that I wanted to do night feeds. Uh, My wife was breastfeeding. And so that was kind of a confusing situation. It was actually very early on. I asked if she would do some pumping in order to allow me to do a night feed and then she could sleep. Mm -hmm. And that was the best decision I ever made. 
because the time alone with my son, it was not only allowed me the space to find my own way, but he was asleep. So it wasn't, (laughs) there was no rejection to be had. But I I finally found this connection. Mm. And actually Newsweek recently did a study on similar theory. And the theory was that two thirds of new dads admit to feeling left out Mm. during, you know, the early days of parenting. Mm -hmm. And co-feeding was one of the best ways to help dads to form a bond. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be the case. Because a lot of times people think dads feel there is going to be an instant bond. And that just doesn't always happen. And it can't happen for everyone because at the end of the day, and what I mean can't happen is not the bond, but the fact not everyone can pump and not Mm -hmm. everyone, you know, if you're already doing formula, it's a different situation. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're breastfeeding, some women are not going to be able to do the pumping and it might hurt supply and there's various factors. And, you know, there's also the fact that sometimes if you wait too long to do the bottle, then the baby can have trouble with latching. So I feel like with all of these factors, it's individual to each person. But if it's possible, I think it's, it was one of the best decisions we ever made to mix in my feeding with my wife's breastfeeding. And your wife could sleep and help her recovery as well. Absolutely. And it was soon after that, that I realized that what I needed was time with my family. And I had run my own social impact firm for over a decade. And I literally decided that I was going to take a year off work and extended paternity leave. I had mm-hmm. savings from my work. My client, you know, NBC Universal was one of my clients. They were not very pleased. A lot of clients were not necessarily happy with the decision, but I also had just signed with a, a major agency and uh, I was developing a TV show with William Morris. And I was like, I got to go. For me, I got to take time and I turned off my phone for a year. And when my wife went back to work, I did. And when my wife went back to work, I stayed with our baby. And I just, you know, I realized that I had fallen into a deep depression and I was not myself. And I did not want that to be the person that my son was raised by. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to reconnect with myself and reconnect with my family and my wife and my son and my, you know, and more importantly, to laugh again, to feel life again. Mm -hmm. So like you were just so I understand kind of not necessarily timeline, but like things were hard to obviously to get to pregnancy. Um, But during that time, you were you were still okay mental health wise. I mean, I would say that I was I was performing at 80 percent. And most of the world did not know that anything was going on with me, including my wife, Mm. including myself, Mm. because no one asked, including Mm. myself. And when the baby came out, I just, I knew something was off Mm -hmm. and I was more short tempered than usual. But I had this moment that I was doing a night feed and my baby was crying and I was bouncing him on the ball and I could not get him to stop crying. And it was almost like he was screaming, just get me mom. I just want the boom you know? And obviously, you know, he couldn't talk. And I decided my wife is sleeping and I have to find my own way. And I kept bouncing. I was almost on the point of tears and I kept repeating, you're safe. And there was this moment. It was like after about an hour of the baby screaming in my ear, he just all of a sudden he gave in and he stopped crying. And it was almost like he, he said to himself, okay, so you're here to stay. (laughs) You're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And never again after that did we have 
you know, that was maybe two months in. Mm -hmm. Never again did we have that kind of, it never took that long to calm him down again. Mm -hmm. It was like with moms, there's that, they say there's an immediate bond, but there's also so much time taken where the mom is is bonding with the baby and physically Mm -hmm. there. And there's been many studies done that show that the bond forms from that actual time, Mm -hmm. feeding and taking care. Mm -hmm. And dads don't always get that time. And a lot of times people say, well, what can a dad do, you know, in the early days? Not much, you know, support your wife. I disagree. Mm. I actually think that the dad, the more time the dad can be allowed or the non-birthing partner can be allowed with their baby, the more opportunities to bond and the more they can feel a connection. And I actually think that parental leave is so crucial because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's not just about survival of your baby. It's about survival of your relationship with your partner. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such a crucial piece that people miss. And you have to find your way as a team and yeah. supporting each other. And that also involves the non-birthing partner having time alone mm-hmm. to find their own way and time, you know, to be able to not only figure it out, but to bond because it's that physical time where the bond forms. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I realized that there was something there and it was a healing piece, I realized I just needed time to reconnect Mm -hmm. with myself and the baby. And that's when I started to talk to clients and talk about all the work and kind of close up loose ends. And after month three, my wife went back to work and I stayed for the remainder until he turned one and was the stay-at-home dad. Mm -hmm. And it was invigorating and exhausting and lonely. (laughs) And no mom group would let me in. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't find any dad friends. And it was really hard. And that's when I decided to launch a podcast. And I launched it called DILF, Dad I'd Like to Friend. Mm -hmm. And I really just launched it to find other dads that I would, that I would like to friend, (laughs) you know, really just to find. Right. Because there's no group that you could attend at that time. So, right. What was that like? And just in terms of isolation and feeling alone, I assume. I mean, it was probably what, honestly, most stay-at-home parents feel. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was different because I was a guy. I just think that there is an outlet that sometimes when moms join a group or they go to the park and they can talk to other moms and the moms ignored me at the mm-hmm. park and any mm-hmm. group I went to, like I was going to pick up on them, you know, like it was a very <laughs> weird atmosphere. Yeah. And all I wanted was friends, was people to talk to. And so I literally launched the podcast in order to find some, to see if I was alone in all of this. And then it took off. You know, we got featured by People Magazine. We got more mom than dad listeners. In season two, we hit number six on the U.S. Parenting Podcast charts. And it was one of those things where as we started to get more attention globally, I started to realize this is not just a U.S. problem. Right. This is a world problem. This is a problem of dads feeling alone. And as I went on, I realized this is a bigger problem than dads feeling alone. This is about uniting parents. Mm-hmm. This is about moms and dads are speaking different languages. Moms are talking to moms about their problems. Dads are starting to talk to dads about their problems. And there's a much bigger issue here. No one's talking to both. Mm-hmm. A lot of the parent publications are talking to straight white women, you mm-hmm. know, as moms. And it's just, mm-hmm. there's nothing that's welcoming everyone. Mm-hmm. There's no universal forum. And I've had discussions before where there's groups now. I think there's many groups that throughout the years have been ignored. So therefore, we've created these segmented groups to support a lot of these ignored parts of our world. And I think that 
it's amazingly important that we have so much mom support out there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we are not, it's created an us against them mentality. You know, moms against drunk driving is crucial, but it's not like dads are for drunk driving. You know? <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Like uh -huh. it's parents are all in this together. And a lot of times if we focus so much on one specific factor, one specific group, then we eliminate support from all the other groups in our world that also want to come together. And I think it's a lot of the work we've done has been to try and unite and show, you know, we interview a lot of dads to show moms that we're not that different. Mm -hmm. We're kind of a dad podcast for moms. Can you give me some examples, I guess, of the ways in which you're finding that you know, you're not that different. Dads are not that different from moms, meaning just, I'm thinking in particular for the listeners of this podcast, it's a mix of parents and therapists. And then that in combination with what I see a lot on social media is like, you know, some dad bashing, like, you know, he's not here and all. Anyways, so we can get into that in a minute, but just what are you seeing? That's just some examples of ways in which people are the same or similar. Okay, so for instance, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had postpartum depression. That's what was going on with me. Mm. And, you know, if you, from the factors that are out there, a lot of people think postpartum depression, it's not possible for men to get it because it's all about hormones. Mm -hmm. And aside from the fact that there have been studies that show that men have a drop in testosterone as well and that hormones can be affected for non-birthing partners, there's also the fact that there's many other factors mm -hmm. with regards to postpartum postpartum depression. And a lot of times we call it paternal postnatal depression, but it's the same thing. It's just giving it a different term because postpartum mm -hmm. depression is primarily associated with women. But that being said, there's also change in identity. I don't know who doesn't have a change in identity when they have a kid, right? right it's right. no longer a single person or me and my partner, right? It completely changes who you are. There's sleep deprivation, that affects everyone who has a baby. There's change in relationship status. That again, truly, it's no longer just me and my partner. It's now we're parents and we're not really each other's number one. And another huge one is pre-existing factors. Mm -hmm. So if you were already prone to depression, you know, that's a huge factor. For me, we were had dealt with infertility for five years. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge factor. Mm -hmm. But I didn't even know that this existed, let alone that I could have postpartum depression. Right. So for right. me, I did a lot of the work to heal throughout that year. And I did not realize that there was a name for what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge problem. I think it that is. it's important yeah. that moms and dads both realize this is possible for both moms and dads to experience. And by not giving non-birthing partners the opportunity to experience these things or laughing it off or saying, well, that's not possible or real oh, or legit. Yeah. What's happening is actually you're hurting the home just as badly because if if a non-birthing partner is in pain, it's mm -hmm. gonna hurt the whole family. Right. Just right, as much as if a mom is dealing with depression. Mm -hmm. And I think that not I think we have a problem in our society where we don't legitimize everyone's feelings or allow that space. We don't allow everyone to find their way. And I think that the book that I've been writing, um, which I know you read a chapter of it really focuses on new dads and the mental health of parents. And I think that we, there's a lot of bashing of dads in particular with regards to not sharing their, their a part in the mental load. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. we launched a global survey 
And we've been working on it actively. And it's all about co-parenting and learning each different side and their perspective. And the majority of men don't know what the word means. So how can you bash a man for not carrying his share of the mental load when he doesn't even know what the word mental load means? Mm. And I think that a lot of it is about education. So the Mm. point of the book is to be able to say, hey, there is a lot you can do while your wife is pregnant that prepares Mm -hmm. you. It's not just about supporting your wife. It also prepares you for being a father. And there's a lot of things you could do on parental leave. And a lot of the work that we do with DILF is raising funds and support and awareness for paid leave for all. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's not just about the survival of your baby. It's also about the survival of your relationship with your partner and learning how to find your way and working as a team and finding ways Mm -hmm. to not only support each other, but allowing each other the space to find your own way through this parenting journey. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I'm curious, like going back to um, your experience um, with uh, the paternal postpartum depression, what was that like kind of, first of all, like, how did you figure that out? And what was it like for you to, did you have your own thing of, you know, I thought this only happened for women. So what was it like for you? I mean, the truth is, Kat, I didn't discover it till years later. I knew I was depressed and I'd done a lot. I mean, I've run my own social impact firm and I've studied people and honestly studied mental health for a decade. So for me, I knew something was off. Mm -hmm. And I've done a lot of work on connectivity. And I knew that, you know, in my opinion, there's a huge lost art of connection in our world. People aren't connected with their partners or their kids or even themselves. And a lot of that has to do with technology. Mm. And I think, so I had already, the reason I turned off my phone, I I was already prone to the fact that you know, this addiction we have with our phones is stopping us from connecting with ourselves and our partners and everyone. Mm. And we turn off our phones every weekend. I do it every weekend. And sometimes my wife will sneak away and 24 hours later, I'll see an Instagram story. And I was like, 
It looks like you turned off, you turned on your phone in the bathroom. You know, it's an addiction, just mm -hmm. like smoking or drugs or anything else. And I think that people don't realize how it's affecting our brains. And we focus so much attention on the mental health of our kids. And I think that's crucial. But we don't realize that if we don't talk about our mental health as parents, we're going to mess them up. Just right. if there's no point in just focusing on all these aspects to help our kids if we're not focusing on the aspects to help ourselves because mm -hmm. they learn by watching us. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a lot of the work that we've done is raising awareness that our focus is never on parenting advice. Our focus is always on parents, you know, the mental health of parents. And so for me, I realized something was off. I decided I needed to take the time without distractions, but it was not. And I started to slowly feel better and heal. And the more I was helping other parents through the podcast and through a lot of the work I was doing and, and the articles I was writing and the pieces I was, you know, collaborating on, I then met Maternal Mental Health Now. Mm -hmm. And I was on that panel with you. And then when I was asked to lead a panel on mental health issues with men, I started doing more research and I realized, oh my God, I had mm -hmm. five out of six factors with mm -hmm. regards to postpartum depression. But how is that possible? I'm a man. And then as I talked to more and more people, I realized I very definitely had mm -hmm. postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize more and more friends' stories I had had who also had it. Oh, and interesting. Yeah. It's shocking, you know, how many people are diagnosed. Well, I mean, are not diagnosed and actually right. have, right. you know? Right. right. Once mean, you kind of know what to look for, you can see it a little more readily just in just maybe behavior changes or how people interact or, you know, how they're emotionally responding to things. It's the, and in particular for fathers that I think you had mentioned that kind of feeling of irritability and anger is a little more prevalent for male partners. I mean, there are, you know, as you stated earlier, between one in five and one in seven moms experiencing postpartum depression. And the stats, according to the Journal of American Medical Association, are that at least one in 10 mm -hmm. new dads are experiencing, are experiencing postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And that number in the three to six months postpartum period mm -hmm. climbs up to over 25%. So I'm not saying it's equal to moms, but right. it's a huge factor. One in 10 sure, is 10% sure. of dads. And then if you ignore it, obviously, when you ignore any mental health issue, mm -hmm. it bubbles up and gets worse, which oh, yeah. is yeah, yeah. most likely why the three to six months postpartum period is even worse. But I mean, there is major issues happening that are affecting our world. And then we're not acknowledging or allowing the space for non-birthing partners to have these feelings. Mm. and say, mm -hmm. I, in the survey, a lot of people feel it's not possible for men to get that. They didn't give birth to the baby. Mm. There's like this ownership that says, I gave birth and therefore you're not allowed that. But mm. we're not taking anything away from the amazing miraculousness of women in giving birth to a baby. Mm -hmm. My wife is utterly incredible. Mm -hmm. She was like a, a warrior when she was mm -hmm. giving, uh, the epidural war, uh, like it, it's, um, forgive me for not knowing the medical term, but basically the epidural wore off as she was crowning. Mm. It was incredible watching her. And it was, mm -hmm. she's amazingly strong and unbelievably incredible. That doesn't take away the fact that someone else might be going through something too. Right. And if we ignore it, it hurts everyone. Yes. Because I know my wife was not going through postpartum. And that's another major factor. Mm -hmm. If one partner is going through it, birthing partner, that can raise the, you know, oh, the yeah. percentage of their partner going through it. Yeah. 
And I just think there's this thing in society about us feeling like I'm the only one that can feel this way. Mm. And I think it only hurts our kids and it only hurts everyone. Yeah, for sure. So did your wife notice a difference in you? Like, you know, since you'd been having a hard time, how did she perceive what you were going through? I was good at faking it, Mm. but also my wife had trauma in her past, which is why we didn't have traditional um, infertility. It was, we didn't do IVF. It was literally my wife's period stopped mm-hmm. because of trauma from her past. Mm-hmm. And I was working almost as a therapist for years because she wasn't really revealing and letting down her guard to the people she was working with, mm-hmm. you know, and we had to really work hard. I don't want to tell her story because it's her story. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, there were things that, you know, she had to face. And that was so much attention that was being put on me focusing on her and helping her with healing. Mm-hmm. There was no even thought process. And when I talked about it with my wife later, she just would always say, I just, and if you listen to the podcast, we talk about it a lot. You're just so capable. Like you mm-hmm. just are so, you always have it together. So I never even thought to ask you. Mm-hmm. And I hear this from innumerable amounts of moms and women throughout the world mm-hmm. that we've talked and interviewed with. They just assumed certain things about their partner. They assume their husband wouldn't want to talk about her. They assumed that their husband was fine. Mm. But Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most important things with partners. You don't know unless you ask. One of the most common questions I get is, but how do you get the guys to talk about their feelings? I've never met a man who doesn't want to talk about his feelings if you don't allow him the space to do so. Mm. You know what I mean? You have to Mm -hmm. ask and allow the space and the freedom without judgment. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the podcast, every episode we've done, you know, it's evergreen because all the interviews we've done with like, you know, award-winning blockbuster screenwriters to stay-at-home dads. Like every dad has feelings. Every man is going through different aspects of their journey. And they're not in our society often allowed to express that or the freedom to feel these things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the important thing is realizing that, I mean, even the question of what makes moms and dads similar, we're all humans. Mm -hmm. We all have feelings. Mm -hmm. We were taught in early age as men to put on this armor to protect Mm -hmm. ourselves Mm -hmm. and all the shrapnel, you know, attached to us and protected us. But if allowed the space, we all are very eager to Mm -hmm. let it down. It's just how many battles did you go through through your life? How much shrapnel is on you that's mm-hmm. protecting you and how much work is it going to take for you mm-hmm. to let it down and if you let it down and someone isn't available to hear you that's going to double the amount of shrapnel oh, right for sure yeah it's there's so to your point so many so much messaging throughout the however long millennia that men are supposed to behave and act a certain way and I even remember when my son was little little somebody told him he was like he was like two and he was crying about something and they said pepper up like they told him he couldn't have feelings at two. And I was like, oh, this is the thing. Like, I want my son to be able to express and have feelings and be in touch with them because there's so much conditioning out there that will um, work against that still now, still, even though there's, you know, movement to make it easier for men to share and be in touch with how they feel and, and be vulnerable um, with their partners. It's so true. I mean, I invited my wife on early on. We had, we were having a fight and I invited her to come onto the podcast and like, just talk about what we were feeling with the mic on. 
And it was such a popular episode that we ended up doing a co-parenting series. And a lot of it, it all focuses on the fact that women are oftentimes, and the moms connect with some of the things that I'm feeling and talking about. I'm more maternal. And the dads often connect with some of the things my wife is feeling. And I think that very much explains our relationship dynamic and kind of a gender role reversal and the way she was raised in Minnesota and her upbringing was not to be in touch with her feelings. So a lot of our relationship has been me being very expressive and working on opening up her feelings. But that created a dynamic where almost everything in our relationship was about her and her feelings. Mm -hmm. So when you ask, how did my wife, did my wife notice what I was going through? I don't think that she, she was raised traditionally like a boy Mm -hmm. and to like man up. So no, she didn't really notice what was going on with me because Mm -hmm. that's not really how she works. And I was focused on her. So I think we were both a little oblivious until I said, I need to take this year. And she, I think, acknowledged that I needed it mm-hmm. and was supportive of it. Mm-hmm. But it was a tricky thing for us because still, I personally firsthand understood the mental load conversation because I was still carrying 100% of the mental load mm-hmm. and always had in our relationship, except once we had a kid, it was too much to carry. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even think to ask or to to basically attempt to carry that load she her response was just but you always just seem to have it handled Mm -hmm. which is i think what a lot of dads say to moms and that's that was the impetus for a lot of the book that i've been working on is how do i explain to my wife from the time a baby is born how would i have done it differently and expressed ways that we could share the mental load and be a team And, you know, Mm -hmm. some of your listeners might know the term maternal gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. Some might not, but coined in the 80s. And it's that terminology that means the parent who kind of claims the home is their domain and then says statements like, you're doing it wrong. You know, it's just easier if I do it. Mm -hmm. And I was maternal gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. And when I realized it, I realized, no, the key is allowing my wife the space to fall on her face and find her own way Mm -hmm. and bite my tongue, Mm -hmm. you know? And I would take the night shift And I insisted that she took something we call a freedom shift. And she was off from, you know, 7 p.m. to 6 a.m. And she could do whatever she wants. She could go out with a girlfriend. She could take a bath. She could put in earplugs. If the the baby screamed, it was on me. And then she was morning shift because I'm not really a morning person. Mm -hmm. And it worked beautifully for us, except that sometimes I would hear them fighting and I would want to jump up. To this Mm -hmm. day, he's Mm -hmm. almost five. I want to jump up and solve it. And anytime mm-hmm. I do that, it just takes away her power. Right. And more importantly, it hurts our dynamic as a couple. Mm-hmm. And I realized early on that the best thing I could do was empower her to find her own way. And in essence, like going through all of these baby steps, including, you know, taking leave with mm-hmm. each other to mm-hmm. find your own way, but simultaneously supporting each other mm-hmm. with a joint parental leave. Because it's important that we fight for maternity leave and much more maternity leave. Yeah. But it also is extremely helpful to have another partner there taking care of the mom who just gave birth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not just about giving mom time off to heal and take care of the baby. It's also about the mom feeling supported. Right. And the earlier we do that, the more we create a team dynamic. And a lot of the work that we do is, is redefining the word co-parenting, which You know, through that survey, we have found that a lot of people still associate the term co-parenting with 
two separated or divorced parents who uh-huh, are right. sharing responsibility while living in separate homes. I don't know why you need to be living in separate homes in order to share equal responsibility. And I think there's this mentality that, well, if my partner has it covered, then I don't have to, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's starting with the education and, you know, I carry more mental load than my wife. That is fine. But the parts where I get overburdened doesn't have to be 50-50. It has to be fair. And that's where the concept of fair play comes in. It's just fair play. And some of that mentality tends to man bash. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily something that is inviting or welcoming in education. And for us, it was more about my wife not carrying her load. So it's a little presumptuous to think that it's always the women who are carrying the mental load. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more that we open this up to parents, the more welcoming it is for everyone to understand. For me, doing lunches is overburdening. It's overwhelming. And so I asked my wife to handle, you know, buying whatever we need and doing the lunches, you know, and I got the lunch pail and I set up everything with the schools and I handle if there's a birthday party, I, I RSVP and I get the gifts. But that was just something that pushed me over the edge. And so my wife handles that. Mm -hmm. It's not a very big thing, but it's the things that make me kind of tip over to the Mm -hmm. over overburden stage. Mm -hmm. And I think if you know yourself, you know, it's not about what you do these things tit for tat because I do these things. It's where is your capacity? That happens a lot though. A lot, a lot. Uh, Do you mean tit for tat? Oh, for sure. Oh, I absolutely. mean, that's where people get stuck a lot. It's as if there's some equation that's going to make perfect sense at some point. Exactly. It's a constant renegotiation. Absolutely. And I think it needs to come from knowing yourself and learning where your tipping point is, mm-hmm. you know, and then working to assign that to your partner and basically talk with your partner and saying, this thing kind of overburdens me. Is it possible that that's something that you could take on? Mm-hmm. The problem that I think is the ownership of that task. If you take on a task, it can't be 50% and someone else will pick up your slack. Whatever task you take on, you have to own holistically. Mm-hmm. And I think all these things are ways to be able to empower your partner, mm-hmm. you know, for moms listening, you know, talk about tasks that maybe your partner could take on, but then don't save the day. Don't come in and rescue or give instructions. Super if you're gonna- hard. Right. But it's yeah. like, if you're going to hand over a task, you need to let them do it their own way for sure. and allow them to find their way. That is true. I think across the board for partnerships and, you know, for people who are experiencing anxiety, part of the gatekeeping is not necessarily that they think their partner can't do it. It's just, they're worried about what could go wrong. So their anxiety pushes them into taking over trying to do it so that the thing they're worried about doesn't happen. It's so like, sometimes it's just really about like the struggle internally. And still it's hard to, for the dynamic to change if you don't let your partner do some of it and then be able to see that they can do it well and the bad thing doesn't happen. Absolutely. And to be very frank, what you are describing is me. (laughs) So like I am the one who is, you know, who has been known to maternal gatekeep and say, it's just easier if I do it. Mm -hmm. And and biting my tongue is the best thing I ever did for my marriage. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times it's letting my partner find her own way and realizing, oh, that's an even better way than I was, you know, but Mm -hmm. it it does come down to a lack of trust sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's on both partners. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's dangerous when one person just thinks you need to change. I don't need to do anything differently. Yeah. I hear that so much. I hear it so often. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Or at least, I mean, I'm primarily meeting with moms and I've heard this just even last week, the kind of like nothing's wrong with me from the male partner. If you would just stop being so anxious, then everything would be fine. And it's not like I've only heard that once. I hear it a lot. But that's part to your point. It's part of the reason why the male partner might not be able to see it is that they are not in touch with their own feelings. And it's hard to feel a sense of, oh gosh, I can't think of the word that I want. Ownership. Ownership, sure. Or that even they could feel better or different. It's hard to be in touch with that sometimes. It's a lot easier to do the tit for tat stuff. I also think it's as important in what you're saying. I noticed you just said like that the dad feels that they are, if you're just less anxious. And I think that it's important that every partnership realizes that it takes to tango. Mm -hmm. And you know, my wife has said, it feels like you're angry at me. Well, I'm angry at you because you're not keeping your word on something that you said you were going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's two ways to look at it. And there's also the mom realizing in some traditional relationships, in our relationship, it's the exact opposite. But the kind of more primary parent saying, I don't want to be the primary parent. I want to be a co-parent with you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I need to relinquish some control. Mm -hmm. And that is a very difficult thing to do. But I will say attempting to have your partner carry more without relinquishing control is laughable. And I think it's right. something that's going to be frustrating for everyone. Yes. And I think it's something that we don't realize or own enough. In order for me to ask my partner to own more, I have to own less. 
Mm-hmm. And I have to allow that space. And I think we have become a society that's very much, well, you do it wrong and you need to change <laughs> and you are not carrying the weight and bitch, bitch, bitch. And now on social media, I'm going to bash my partner. And it's like, at the end of the day, I think it starts with talking with your partner. And we started doing a weekly business meeting. So our whole life isn't the business of parenting or the business, our house, but really like once a week talking mm-hmm. about ways that we can kind of what things are bothering us and what things need to happen for the coming week and what mm-hmm. business needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And then letting each other handle the pieces that we're each handling, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that everyone needs to see their part in order for any change to actually occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all true, you know, takes a process. Given the hope that all relationships can find that balance is, yeah, I will keep that hope alive. And also knowing that there are sometimes years and years and years worth of work in a relationship that would need to happen in order for like it to feel as equal. And it's really hard sometimes to get both partners in interested and involved in working together and working towards that change. It's all now, I, I actually disagree with that because I think that that's an assumption that we get a lot, that my husband is not interested in being more involved or my partner is not interested. So that's why I'm carrying so much of the weight. I actually think that in the, the research we've done in the interviews that we've done and the people that we've discussed over the past few years, I mean, hundreds of parents, we've talked to the moms and dads separately. And then we've also spoken with them together. And I actually have found that if the kind of more primary parent really lets go of the reins a little, I think that the secondary or whoever is considered secondary will gladly carry more weight. I think it's that mentality of, well, you have it covered. So there's no room for me to handle anything. And why would I? Uh, Sure. And I always do everything wrong. So, you know, why you tell me I'm doing it all wrong? Yes, there is that space available. But I mean, I'm talking, there are cultural factors, there are trauma factors, there are like abuse factors. There are some relationships, is what I'm saying, where... It would be great if this could happen. And also there may be multiple layers of things oh, to work 100%. through to get to that point. Because 100%. if you're in an abusive relationship, it's like, where are we going if there's not that space to have even a conversation? Okay. Or if like the cultural factors or barriers are so ingrained it could take a long time to move past or move through those. I'm not saying it's impossible, but there are, you know, given some of those factors and some of the resources, it makes it harder to get to those points where you feel like you can be sharing a load. Absolutely. And I think that those are the examples you're giving are specific situations and every situation is unique. And, you know, but I do think there are a majority of situations where those factors don't necessarily take place. And it is just a simple one partner is carrying so much of the load Mm -hmm. and is saying, I don't trust you, so I'm going to carry even more. And then I'm feeling overburdened. And then I'm irritated at you because I am carrying more. And I did it. And as someone who did it, I can say it took me realizing that I was a major part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And that in order for changes to occur, I needed to uh, make changes in myself as well, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it takes a little bit of like 
getting out of your suffering to be able to see that and, and, and make those changes. It's really hard when you're in the thick of it to be able to see all that so clearly. So yeah, just like, you know, for seek healing, you know, for, I'm just thinking of people listening, like get the support that you need so that you can attend to your healing and then also attend to not then, but also attend to these kind of relationships dynamics. Absolutely. I think there's a big difference between having friends who you bitch to, Mm -hmm. which we all are, you know, it's a very common thing in our society or having friends that are supporting you and listening to you. Yes. yes, You know, Mm -hmm. because I think that the, the bitch fest is something that, you know, unfortunately, in my opinion, a lot of these dad groups that have popped up have become just bitch fests about their partners. I don't see how that's benefiting anyone. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of, in my opinion, negative dad support out there. Mm -hmm. That's not helping to unite us. And I think that it's very important that we find opportunities to talk to each other and listen to each other. And that if you're dealing with something that you find the space to not only talk to a licensed, you know, healthcare professional, but more importantly, that you find friends that have a positive angle on listening and are are looking to the goods in your relationship. Mm-hmm. and are are very much there to support you and remind you of the reason you got together in the first place. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would be great if everybody had that kind of support. Absolutely. It's really important. I mean, you find out pretty quickly who you can share with or who you'll get support from and who you won't. But and that's why podcasts about like, stuff. yeah, podcasts like each of ours and many others out there, there's some that make that they're all about the comedy of parenting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and making fun of the kids and my kids are assholes and, you know, and the jokes. And that's an easy, it's like poop jokes, you know, <laughs> that's an easy go. But at the end of the day, it's kind of harder to sit and create content that's inspiring and opens you up in a way where you may not be, you may be listening to this podcast episode right now and you're not talking, you're just listening, but you may connect with something that we're saying. Mm-hmm. And that's cathartic in its own way too. Oh yeah. That is sure. as yeah. supportive and as opening to your soul and helpful to your relationship if you allow yourself the space to open and hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So all of this has been super helpful. And I know that a lot of people who are listening will be able to hear themselves in this and identify with it or hear their partners in it. And, and But what are some things you'd really like for people to take away from our chat today? I mean, I feel like there's two main points. I think that no matter what age your child is, whether you're pregnant, whether you just gave birth, whether your child is six years old, whether your child is 20, I think there's an importance in allowing the space for each partner to find their own way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that is such a crucial piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's important that uh, your partner takes advantage of that and steps up. And that sometimes if you're feeling a little overburdened, that you allow yourself to kind of step down and take that rest. Mm -hmm. If your partner is taking the kids on a Saturday for the day, don't do chores and clean the house that day. You know, (laughs) take a spa day, Mm -hmm. go with your friends, allow yourself that gift of space to become unburdened because it's on everyone allowing themselves the space. You can't just allow your partner the space to take more active role. You also have to allow the space for you to focus on you and mm-hmm. you to enjoy and you to to take some of the pressure off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Allowing, I think it's an important piece that we don't discuss enough in the mental health of parents. 
you know? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, there are so many people who I know will be able to relate to that specifically where they're dying for a break and then they get it. And it's like, sometimes they don't know what to do with themselves. Yes. They just do what they've always done. And I'm just going to sweep the house, you know, <laughs> real while quick. you're gone and wait, you know, <laughs> right, and it's like, right, right, right. take advantage. Um, and I think the second major takeaway is that, you know, of course, a baby sometimes needs to come first. Of course, you know, sometimes your kid is sick and needs to come first, but your relationship also, if it's put on the back burner for too long, it will suffer. Mm -hmm. And if you are put on the back burner for too long, you will suffer. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a crucial piece here that the myth that good parents put their kids' needs first is problematic. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you put your relationship first. Sometimes you put yourself first. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you put your kid first. Right. It's a balancing act. And only you can decide when those times are appropriate. Mm -hmm. But you have to realize that all pieces are important. Date nights yeah. are as important as a family day where you focus on your kids as is an alone time with your kid and your partner having alone time. Mm -hmm. You know, this it's all a balancing act. And I think it's right. so crucial that we don't neglect any of the pieces of that puzzle or everyone will suffer. Because if your relationship is suffering, trust me, it's going to affect your kids. Oh, if yeah. you are suffering, it's going to affect your relationship and your kids. Mm -hmm. It's not, you can't focus all our attention on making sure our kids are living their best life if we're not living our best life, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I really hope that people can hear that. It's an important message. And I think in some way, impactful in a way that it's coming from a dad because of all of the things we've already talked about, the way society is set up and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes we just need to hear it from another voice as opposed to some, you know, what might be easier to discount is some you know, somebody you've always heard saying something. Right. It's easier to discount. So anyways, I really appreciate you bringing all of it today for us to hear. And for everybody who's listening, they can come find you on Instagram. And yeah, I would say the best place to go is to go to dadidliketofriend.com. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that will be in the notes. But, yes. you know, you can find us on Instagram. But I would say, you know, if you're looking for the opportunity to be proven that what I'm saying is real <laughs> and that other dads are actually emotionally available and <laughs> are interested in being more involved and that partners want to carry more weight, go and search for DILF, Dad I'd Like to Friend, on any podcast forum. Listen to any one of the episodes we've done and you will hear a number of dads just pouring their hearts out and seeing that we're not that different as moms and dads mm -hmm. if allowed the space. And I think that it's, you know, that's why I started the podcast and mm -hmm. I'll let you know when the book is done and comes out, but check out the podcast, check out the website. There's a bunch of articles on there and also check out the survey that we are actively putting into the world. It's a global survey on modernizing co-parenting. And I think that starts with hearing from moms and dads oh, yeah. and hearing each of those individual experiences and share your story with us so we can actually show the data to prove to the world that we're thinking about things not necessarily in the best way that helps us. Mm -hmm. And I think there's ways to bring more joy to our homes. And that starts with, with taking a more realistic picture of the actual world. I know this is throwing a stat out last minute, but I don't know if you heard this, but the U.S. Census Bureau recently announced that parental leave 
specifically for men is up 183% from 2018. Wow. And I think that's just more evidence that like mm-hmm. the world is changing or the world has been waiting to change <laughs> and talking about it in the media and talking about it in society and these and the memes that we talk about is hurting us, not helping us. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about our homes in a way that is no longer relevant to the way the world actually is now and the way people actually are. Mm-hmm. And we have to allow the space for our mentalities to change so that we can create more balanced homes. Awesome. Yeah. Let's go out on that note because that is real. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. Appreciate you coming and sharing all of this. And I know that you'll your story and the work that you do will be supportive to so many people. Thank you for having me. To connect with Kevin, please go to dadidliketofriend.com or on Instagram at Dilf Podcast. Thank you again, Kevin, for coming on to share your story. It is so important that we hear other people's stories so that it can let us know, one, that we're not alone, but also have a little bit more compassion for our partners, for our family members, for our spouses, for our own children. Life is really hard, and we have to know that we are not alone. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.